began to withdraw and hold himself aloof. That is to say that Peter began to withdraw now from having his meals with Gentile believers, and he started eating only with the Jewish people of that congregation. Now, why would Peter do such a thing when he knew better than that? And he did know better. I mean, he hadn't forgotten the lesson that God taught him with Cornelius. That's a huge lesson. He didn't suddenly forget that. He knew that God had approved of him eating with Gentiles. So why then did he withdraw from these Gentiles in Antioch? The event that so troubled Paul is described in chapter 15 of the book of Acts. But Paul himself also wrote about it when he addressed a similar issue taking place among the churches in Galatia. And in verse 12 of Galatians chapter 2, Paul said quite plainly why Peter did something that he knew was wrong. Pastor Steve Kreloff will get to that in today's Verse by Verse. We're glad you could join us today. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying Acts 15 and the story of the Jerusalem Council where they answered the most important question of all. What is necessary to be saved? In Galatians 2, Paul mentioned a detail that Luke did not include in his account of this event when he wrote the book of Acts. It's an important detail because it reveals a threat to our own faith when we are faced with false teaching about the gospel. If you can, open your Bible to chapter 2 of Galatians as Pastor Steve begins today's class. Now, just on a side note, what this tells us is that none of the apostles were sinless. In and of themselves, they were not infallible men. You see, these men were sinners just like all of us. However, and it's a big however, when they wrote scripture or taught doctrine, they were infallible. Because God, at that time, made them infallible through the supernatural work of divine inspiration as he guided them in accurately writing down all of his God-breathed words. So then, what we want to know is, what did Peter actually do that was so wrong that it drew such a condemning rebuke from Paul? Well, Paul tells us what got him so upset. Tells us in verse 12. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and to hold himself aloof fearing the party of the circumcision. Now, Paul explains that when Peter first arrived in Antioch, he ate his meals with the Gentile Christians of that church. This was apparently the norm for the congregation as Jewish and Gentile believers in the church met. They ate together. And then Peter just came. He was visiting, so he joined them. And the way this is stated in in the Greek text makes it clear that this was Peter's normal and habitual practice. In other words, from the moment he arrived at the church in Antioch, it was his practice to eat his food with Gentile believers. Now, this may not sound like a big deal to you because most of you are Gentiles and to eat with Gentiles all, all the time. You do that and you think nothing of it. But for Peter, a Jewish man from Israel, Eating with Gentiles was very significant, and it was a big deal. You see, under the Mosaic Law, God had established the rule that Jewish people could only eat certain animals that were considered clean. We call them kosher foods. All other foods were to be rejected as unclean, non-kosher foods. Now, one of the reasons that God established 
these food laws was to keep the Jewish people distinct and separated from pagan Gentiles who had absolutely no concerns about what foods to eat. And so food was a way of keeping the Jewish people well-defined from their Gentile neighbors and distinct as the covenant people belonging to the God of Israel. And so Peter, like every observant Jew in his time, he grew up never having a meal with a Gentile because his diet was limited to only kosher food, never the unclean animals that the Gentiles ate. But one day, all of this was to change in Peter's life. And several months ago, we studied that one day, because in Acts chapter 10, we saw how this change came about. It came about through a vision given to Peter by God in which images of all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean, were displayed on a white sheet that came down from heaven. And in this vision, God revealed to Peter that he was now free to eat anything he wanted, kosher or non-kosher, because God said all the animals have been cleansed by him. They're now all considered clean and he could eat anything he wanted. But as Acts 10 makes clear, this vision was not only about unclean food being cleansed, but it was also about people, specifically Gentile people, Gentiles being spiritually cleansed through salvation. You see, shortly after this vision of food, through a series of events, Peter found himself presenting the gospel to a Gentile Roman soldier by the name of Cornelius and his household. And as a result of hearing the gospel, Cornelius and his family came to believe in Christ. They received the Holy Spirit. They were immediately baptized by Peter. And following this, Peter was asked by Cornelius to stay on with him. He and his family remained with him in, in his home. And as a result, Peter now ate with Gentiles. And therefore, he could not stick to his normal Jewish diet. He had to eat whatever food was served to him. Maybe ham, shrimp. Even horse, all non-kosher foods. And so when Peter came to Antioch, he just continued this practice, this practice of eating his meals with the Gentiles of this church, his uncircumcised brothers. And it was no big deal. He just ate whatever food was placed before him, whether it was kosher or non-kosher. And it was no problem. No problem, that is, until one day. One day when some Jewish men from Peter's home church in Jerusalem, these men showed up in Antioch. Notice again, verse 12 from Galatians 2. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and to hold himself aloof. Let's stop there. Paul says that as soon as these Jewish men arrived in Antioch, Peter began to withdraw and hold himself Aloof. That is to say that Peter began to withdraw now from having his meals with Gentile believers, and he started eating only with the Jewish people of that congregation. Now, why would Peter do such a thing when he knew better than that? And he did know better. I mean, he hadn't forgotten the lesson that God taught him with Cornelius. That's a huge lesson. He didn't suddenly forget that. He knew that God had approved of him eating with Gentiles. So why then did he withdraw from these Gentiles in Antioch? Well, Paul tells us why at the end of verse 12. Fearing the party of the circumcision. Simply put, Peter was afraid of what these Jewish men from his home church would think of him if he continued eating 
with the Gentiles. In other words, he was intimidated by them. Now, you may wonder. You may wonder, how could Peter be such a coward in this instance? I mean, we're talking about Peter. At other times, the man was incredibly bold, like when he gave a sermon on the day of Pentecost to thousands of unbelieving and antagonistic Jewish people. He told them they had murdered their own Messiah. That's boldness. And like the time he stood before the Sanhedrin and he said he would refuse to obey their commands to refrain from speaking about Jesus. That's boldness. Well, what Peter's fear indicates is that he was just very human, wasn't he? He was no different than we are in that there are many times when we are courageous and we do stand up for what's right. There are other times when we are so weak and wimpy and we just cave into our fears and we fail to do what's right. In withdrawing from the Gentiles, Peter's just exhibiting the struggles that we all have with the flesh. But that doesn't make it right. What Peter did was very wrong. Not only was his action uh, a sin against God, but it must think of this. It must have deeply hurt his Gentile brethren who just had to feel the sting of his rejection. But in addition to being sinful and hurting the Gentile Christians at the church, Peter's actions also had a domino effect on other Jewish Christians of that church who followed his poor example and fell into the same sin. And so we read in verse 13 of Galatians 2. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Now, keep in mind, Peter wasn't just another Christian. He's an apostle. And as an apostle, others in the church looked to him for leadership, looked to him to set an example. So when he withdrew from eating with the Gentiles, other Jewish believers followed suit and they stopped eating with the Gentiles, too. And Paul adds that even Barnabas, even Barnabas, the man who stood so firmly in defending the truth that Gentiles were accepted by God exactly the same way the Jews were by faith in Christ. Even Barnabas, Paul said, was swept away by Peter's poor example. That's how deep it went. Now, notice that two times in this verse, Paul calls the action of Jewish Christians who no longer ate with Gentile Christians. He calls it hypocrisy. And why does he call this particular action Hypocrisy, because Peter and these other Jewish men from this congregation in Antioch, they knew better. They knew better than to withdraw from their Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. They knew better. See, a hypocrite is one who says one thing and he does another. That's a hypocrite. And that's exactly what Peter and the Jewish brethren did. They said that God accepts Gentiles the same exact way that he accepts Jews by faith alone in Christ. But that's not the way they acted. You see, by refusing to eat with Gentiles, they acted as if Jewish people were better and superior to Gentiles. And that, watch this, eating only kosher food made them more acceptable to God. Folks, that's the issue. What Peter and the other Jewish believers did was a terrible display of racial prejudice because it declared that as Jews, they thought they were ethnically superior to Gentiles. This is no different than white people segregating themselves and refusing to eat with black people and vice versa. It's racial prejudice. It's bigotry. It is condemned by Scripture. But listen closely, because what Peter did and these other Jewish Christians did, that went beyond racial prejudice. It was a flat-out denial 
of the gospel, because in refusing to eat with the uncircumcised Gentiles, they were actually denying the gospel of grace by making circumcision and law keeping the basis of acceptance before God. Here's the way Bible teacher John Stott explained Peter's hypocrisy and his denial of the gospel. He writes, Peter knew perfectly well that faith in Jesus was the only condition on which God will have fellowship with sinners. But he added circumcision as an extra condition on which he was prepared to have fellowship with them, thus contradicting the gospel. Understand this. Peter didn't really believe this theologically. He knew that salvation was by faith alone, but in withdrawing from the uncircumcised Gentiles and eating only with circumcised Jews, he acted, he acted as if circumcision was necessary for salvation. And that's what made his behavior so hypocritical and so appalling. And folks, this does have a direct application for us because it's one thing for us to verbally affirm that we believe the truth of the gospel. But then we all have to be so careful that we don't deny that truth by our actions. And one way that we can be guilty of denying the gospel is if we restrict our fellowship to certain Christians while neglecting others on the basis of some superficial external issues like skin color, like financial and social status, like education, vocation, or even a wicked past and the stigma attached to it. You see, when we don't accept certain Christians because of issues like these, we are in reality denying the message of Christ because the gospel says that Christ accepts all who place their trust in him regardless of anything else about them. Now, interestingly, it appears that the Apostle Paul was the only one in the entire church at Antioch who understood what was going on. It's just remarkable, and thank God for Paul. And he's the only one who correctly interpreted Peter's actions, and so he alone speaks up, and he publicly rebukes him, and he proceeds to explain in the next verse why he did this. Verse 14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul says that in removing himself from having fellowship with the Gentiles of the church, Peter and the rest of the Jewish Christians, including Barnabas, were not straightforward about the gospel. See, it came down to the gospel. And what he means by this is they were not walking or behaving in a way that was in keeping with the narrow path of the gospel message. By their actions, they were deviating from the narrowness of the message of how people are saved. In other words, their actions were inconsistent with the message of salvation by faith alone in Christ. And for that reason, and listen, that reason only, this is not a personal issue with Paul. This is a gospel issue. For that reason, Paul rebuked Peter. And here's what he said to him. Let me repeat it again. If you, he's telling Peter this in front of everybody. If you being a Jew, Peter, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? And what exactly does Paul mean by these words? Well, Paul was putting Peter on the spot by asking him a question which was intended to force Peter to see how inconsistent his behavior was with the truth of the gospel. What Paul wanted to know from Peter was how he 
a Jewish man who had been living like a Gentile prior to the coming of these men from Jerusalem in the sense that he had been eating non-kosher food with the Gentiles, why he, Peter, now wanted the Gentiles to live like Jews. So what he's saying is, Peter, why do you want the Gentiles of this church to live like Jews by keeping the Old Testament dietary laws when you as a Jew, you didn't keep them? Now, let me explain what was at the heart of Paul's question to Peter. Paul wants Peter to understand that by his action of changing his habit from eating with the Gentiles to eating only kosher food with the Jews, that he was sending a loud message to the Gentiles in the church at Antioch that keeping the laws of Moses was important because it was part of the gospel message. See, what Peter was conveying by his behavior that it isn't enough to believe in Jesus for salvation. You also have to observe the specific Old Testament laws if you hope to be saved. And folks, that's exactly what the false teachers had been saying to the Galatians. And that's why Paul wrote to them in particular about this incident, because he wants them to see how erroneous Peter's behavior was, even at the expense of embarrassing Peter. Now, folks, believe it or not, all that was an introduction. It was an introduction to our study of of Acts 15, because you have to understand all of this to know that now at the Jerusalem Council, Peter, this is why he's such a staunch defender of the gospel of grace. You see, Peter took to heart Paul's words of rebuke. He learned from them. And now after patiently sitting and listening to others debate before the Jerusalem Council, whether salvation is by grace or works, Peter can take it no more. And he just stands up, and what he is about to say is in the defense of the gospel of grace. He does it by making three points, with the first one being, number one, the conversion of Cornelius by faith proves that salvation is by grace and not by the works of the law. Verse 7, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now, it's very likely that Peter, being impetuous by nature, was sitting there just biting his tongue, just waiting for the right time to speak to the council. And finally, sensing that the time has come, he stands up. He's got the floor. He begins to speak. And what comes out of Peter's mouth is a history lesson. As he takes them back in time, about 10 years earlier, when God chose him, To take the gospel to the Gentiles, meaning Cornelius and his household. Now, they all knew about this incident. It's recorded in Acts 10 and 11. So this wasn't anything new. Peter was just reminding them that God chose him to be the very first one to present the gospel to a group of Gentiles. And his purpose in bringing this up is to remind them of the outcome of his preaching the gospel to these Gentiles. Notice what he says At the end of verse 7, he states the word believe. After hearing the gospel from his mouth, Cornelius and his household believed it. That's what he's saying. See, what Peter is telling them is that circumcision, dietary laws, or any of the laws of Moses had absolutely nothing to do with the conversion of these Gentiles. They were saved by believing the gospel, by faith alone. 
Peter preached the gospel as he explained to them the meaning of Christ's death for sinners. They heard it and they believed it. And that's how they were saved, he says, by grace through faith without any addition of works. Now, in saying this, Peter's a smart man. And he knows that those sitting in the Jerusalem council who oppose salvation by faith alone, and there must have been many of them, they might object to his assertion that Cornelius and his household were saved by faith. And their argument would be that they couldn't have been saved by faith because they weren't circumcised. In other words, yes, we know that Cornelius and his household believed after Peter told them about Christ and his death. But listen, it's only Peter's opinion that these Gentiles were saved by just believing. Peter doesn't know their hearts. He doesn't know whether they were saved or not. Our view is that they weren't saved because they weren't circumcised. So listen, Peter's history lesson, it doesn't prove a thing. Therefore, as I told you, Peter is smart. And of course, the Lord is guiding him at this point, anticipating that an objection along these lines might come up. Peter immediately proceeds to say something that proves that Cornelius and his household were saved by faith and not by the works of the law and that their salvation by believing. That's not his opinion. It's fact. Verse 8, and God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. This is brilliant. Continuing with his history lesson, Peter reminds the council that God, who sees people's hearts and therefore knows whether or not they're really saved, God verified that these Gentiles were converted by giving them the Holy Spirit. The reason Peter brings up the Holy Spirit being given to, to Cornelius and his household is because the scripture teaches very clearly that the Holy Spirit is given only to true, genuine Christians. Romans 8, 9, Paul said, however, you're not in the flesh. He writes to these believers, you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And there are many other verses that affirm this. Now, I want you to notice then how Peter ends this statement about the Holy Spirit being given to the Gentiles. He states at the end of verse eight, just as he also did to us. In other words, the Lord gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit when they were saved, just as he gave Jewish believers the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, demonstrating that they were saved. What is salvation? How are we saved? Do we need to do anything beyond what Jesus did? Can we do anything beyond what Jesus did? These are essential questions, and our eternal destiny depends on how we answer them. Thankfully, we have crystal clear answers already available to us in Scripture, repeatedly and consistently. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. To learn more about Lakeside, go online to lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is listener-supported radio. So if you're already helping support this ministry, we want you to know we are deeply grateful. If perhaps you're feeling led to begin supporting Verse by Verse, or you'd like to just make a special gift because you've been blessed, we make that easy through the giving page on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Or you can give by calling Lakeside at 727-441-1714. And don't forget all those free audio files on our message archive page. 
It's the perfect place to go to get caught up on our current series or to explore other topics. That's firstbyverseradio.org. And here's another web address, and this one's for our blind listeners. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind and you'd like to have a free audio Bible for your digital player, call 800-838-5924 or visit blindbibles.com. That's blindbibles.com or call 800-838-5924. I'm Jerry Peterson. One of the most powerful arguments for salvation by grace alone is that adding works to faith is really no different from the Old Testament law. The law was a burden that no one can bear. If salvation depended on my performance, I wouldn't have a chance. Pastor Steve will tell us more about that unbearable burden on the next Verse by Verse. Verse by Verse. 